Oh, the recording box got real hot today. Did it? Yeah, it's real warm in here. Stop this. Welcome to Polygon Cutscene. I'm Susanna Polo. I'm Julia Alexander. And this is a podcast where we talk about the TV, movies, and comics that are shaping and reshaping our culture every day. Today, we're talking about The Jungle Book and Black Panther number one. Yeah, we're going to go from Rudyard Kipling to Ta-Nehisi Coates. We, t- we, gonna... we didn't plan that. It just happened. No. It just happened. We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, Julia, you saw The Jungle Book this week. Um, our review is going to go up between now and Friday. Yeah. Um, what'd you think? So, The Jungle Book is... So, let me, let me just prologue this by saying that in Toronto, we have like 10 centimeters of snow. It's like April 6th. It took yeah. me like an hour and a half to get to the screening. So I was hoping <laughs> that it was going to be super good. Like, so that's basically my mindset mm-hmm. going into it. It was like, I drove here for an hour and a half. It better be a good movie. Mm-hmm. The Jungle Book, uh, and I don't mean this as an exaggeration, redefines what we're going to expect out of CGI in movies. It mm-hmm. is without a doubt, the most beautiful uh, mix of real life, of real setting and CGI. It's, it's gorgeous. It's, it entrances you from the very moment it begins to the very end. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. And on top of that, it's, out, it's actually pretty decent. Like, it's, it's, it, there, there is, there's a little bit of, there's a lack of, direction i don't think it knows what its target audience wants to be there are moments mm-hmm. where if it feels like a kid's movie i mean it's based on yeah it's an adaptation it's based on a children's uh, book and it feels like it's supposed to be a kid's movie but there are moments when i would be concerned about bringing like a five six seven year old because mm-hmm. there are scary moments in the movie um and at the same time it feels a little bit childish at points for adults um but if you're looking for like this kind of immersive experience where you kind of want to see where Disney's going to go and and what they can do with this kind of technology, this is the movie to do it with. And on top of that, the voice acting uh, cast is incredible. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray now, is fantastic. Is, now there are there are two Jungle Book adaptations going on right now, aren't there? There are two. So this is Disney's. This is right. kind of the. I would call it the bigger one. There's a bit more yeah. money being spent on it. This is the one directed by John Favreau, who did Iron Man mm-hmm. three, I believe. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Uh, chef. So that's this is his movie. And then we just found out today, actually, that Warner Brothers, who's doing the other one, which mm-hmm. will be directed by Andy Serkis, uh, right? He that is that was originally supposed to hit October sixth, two thousand seventeen. That is now being replaced with a. Uh, a Warner Brothers movie that we don't know is untitled, but the Jungle Book, that Jungle Book, will move from October 6, thousand seventeen, to October nineteenth, twenty eighteen. Mm, so right. we're two years out from that one coming out. Yeah, and of course they can do that because the Jungle Book is old enough that it is in the public domain. Um, as with a lot of other, a lot of Disney's other sort of the classic stories that we associate with them, you know, all the fairy tale movies and the princess movies. Exactly. Um, uh, but yeah, I didn't want to, didn't want to interrupt you, but because the cast, you were talking about the cast and the cast on this movie is pretty incredible. Yeah. The cast is definitely, uh, one of the selling points in this movie. You've got, uh, Christopher Walken, you've got Scarlett Johansson, you've got Bill Murray. 
Um, I can't remember who plays the Panther, but you've got, you've got, it's, it's a huge, uh, you've got Idris Elba and Idris Elba mm. is fantastic in it. Um, the voice acting cast is, is like, I, I, I think casting directors don't get a lot of credit for what they do. And this casting director definitely um, does because each voice actor matches their CGI animal perfectly. And this, the animals, if you watch it long enough, you like Chris, like Christopher Walken plays King Louie, who's the giant gorilla mm-hmm. ape. Uh, and the face, like they contorted it enough that it, there's elements of Christopher Walken's face in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Same thing with um, Bill Murray, who plays, I'm gonna, is it Blue? The the bear? I can't remember his name. But yeah, Blue. Blue, yeah. He plays the bear. Um, and he, same kind of thing. Like you can kind of see Bill Murray's face in it. And they are... They're well. They're well versed. They're they're well directed. John Favreau does a good job with it. Like they, it definitely doesn't feel out of place where it sometimes does with uh, movies like this, where the voice the voice acting just doesn't match up with what's happening on screen. Uh, this this does, and at the other, and this movie is pretty great. Like the things that are wrong with it don't necessarily distract from the actual movie going experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something afterwards you're kind of like, hmm, I don't really know who this was for, which is, which feels weird, but the, but it's a, it's a stunning movie. Like that's the best way to put it. It, it really is quite pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now this is, this is Disney's jungle book. Obviously Disney has made a jungle book before. Um, does this sort of follow the same sort of story? I mean, like, like Rudyard Kipling's original jungle book is sort of an anthology of stories about Mowgli growing up. Um, and learning the law of the forest, um, whereas Disney's Jungle Book sort of has, you know, it, it, it has a bit of an overarching plot with Shere Khan and King Louis wanting to get um, the secret to fire and eventually Mowgli sort of leaving the forest behind and going to live with humans. Um, is that sort of what is, is, is this sort of an adaptation? Is this, I guess what I'm asking, is this an adaptation of the Disney cartoon Jungle Book or is this a new adaptation of Rudyard Kipling's Jungle Book? It's definitely it definitely is more linear with Disney's original film. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, yeah. So this whole story is that um, Shere, it follows Shere Khan and it follows Mowgli having to leave the jungle because he's in danger. So there's that, and the big difference is, um, I guess I'll say spoilers for those who. I mean, like you can read this. It's you, if you've seen the original, you've seen it. But yeah. Uh, but spoiler from here on out, uh, it does it. Mowgli never actually leaves the jungle in this one, or it ends mm-hmm. with him kind of defeating Shere Khan um, uh-huh. and him just remaining in the jungle. We don't know if he actually goes back to the human village. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like King Louis definitely wants to harness the secret of fire. Like that's in there. Uh, there they they there's a lot of uh, winking done to the old film. Like they there's mm-hmm. two they, they include two of the actual they include two of the songs. Right. Which Let me is, guess. It is Bare Necessities yep. and um, I Want to Be Like You. Yes. They include yeah. both of those. <laughs> Bare Necessities actually feels really... Um, it, it, they, the way they, the way they uh, bring it into the movie doesn't feel out of place. Like, it kind of works mm-hmm. because of Bill Murray's character. Yeah. The, I mean, I Want to Be Like You feels weird. And yeah, I can, I can defi- definitely see Bill Murray as an actor being able to just, like, slip in, like, noodling around with bare necessities into a character yes. um but 
I can see it harder. Like I'm sure, like Christopher Walken, I'm sure they were trying to make really menacing as a giant orangutan. Yes. And that maybe that wasn't the best place to put in a peppy musical number. And it's funny because Christopher Walken is just so strange in him. Like, yeah. It, it, I, and I love him for that. Like I think it's hilarious. But yeah. he can't sing at all. <laughs> and so it's kind of this yeah. awkward, funny, like, oh, he's singing in a really weird way and it's just it's strange and awkward and you don't really know if you like it but it kind of works but it really doesn't it's just a weird couple of minutes uh and then the final scene is a throwback to the cover of like rudyard kipling's book and Mm -hmm. right kipling's book um yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of winking happening in this movie it's and I think that's why you bring someone like John Favreau on board because he is he's he knows how to do comedy, he knows how to do drama, but he knows how to use that kind of winking humor and be like, we know that this is an adaptation. We know you've probably seen the original. Uh, we're just, but we're gonna do it anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, one shout out that I really want to say is Scarlett Johansson is only in the movie for about three or four minutes as the snake, uh, and but she is like one of the best parts of it she is so yeah she's so great her voice works uh because she has such a unique voice her voice works so well with the character and like and just the story that she's telling and the way she uses that um to her advantage uh i i really enjoyed it like she's probably in it the least amount out of all the animals uh Mm -hmm. but like kills it like absolutely nails her scene Mm. and uh you know like most of the cast in the movie are are really well-known um A-listers. live action actors yeah who are doing voices of these cgi animals um and it's not a motion capture thing right no it yeah, is like it's i don't know what that guy would love to a guy i was writing my review and i was kind of reading into it but i would mm-hmm. love to know more about how they did this because it's it is the most unique use of technology to create these cgi characters like it's it's fantastic it it looks unbelievable and you kind of forget that these actors even are who they are until Mm -hmm. you're talking about afterwards um which i think is a really big feat for animated it's not even animated movie but for the animated section of this movie because i think Mm -hmm. when you have this in other movies it's hard not to just hear the actor's voice and be like yeah okay well that's christopher walken i'm just watching christopher walken um and that doesn't really happen in this movie you talk about it afterwards and you're like yeah like i knew it was him but it was definitely believable, and I think a large part of that has to do with the way they animated it. Uh, but even um, Ben Kingsley, who plays uh, Bagheera, is fantastic. Giancarlo Esposito as Aquila is amazing. Uh, it's a huge cast. I mean, and that's the thing, right? This is it's Disney. Like, if anyone was yeah. going to get it to do this, it's going to be Disney, and so. I have a feeling that's probably why Warner Brothers also pushed back theirs. It's let's mm-hmm. give it more breathing room. Let's yeah. let people forget that this one existed. Let's let people forget that Jungle Book is a thing that Disney quote unquote owns. Yeah, exactly. You know, that the, the, like the modern idea of the, the like most easily reachable modern idea of the Jungle Book is a decades old Disney film, decades old beloved Disney film. Um, yeah, so the so the cast is predominantly um, adult live action actors as CGI animals. I going into it, I remember watching the trailers and being like, "This the kid they ha- got to play Mowgli better be really good." Yeah, and so uh, the kid is I'm gonna try to say his name 
forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think it's Neil Seti. It's either Neil Seti or Neil Seti. Um, mm. Is I think I really liked him. I thought mm. he was. I thought he was cute. I mean, there's only so much you can do with child actors, right? Like they're kids at the end of the day. They're acting, but they're really not. They're just yeah. being. They're memorizing their lines and kind of going with what they're supposed to do. Yeah, um, and for him, I imagine it was a lot of like acting without other people in yeah, the Yeah, a lot room. of green screen. A lot of yeah. green screen, a lot of kind of running around forest areas that with no one but John Favreau. Um <laughs> he nails it, I think. I think he does such a good job with it. He's so he's adorable. Like that's the thing. He is really <laughs> cute. And he's really lively and he Noted noted child hater Julia Alexander. <laughs> yeah. Can I Yeah. Yeah, so. noted yeah, really as I've talked about on Twitter. Uh <laughs> Yeah, he's he's super cute and um, he's lively and he's and he's funny and he's charming and he's like eight years old. He's probably a little bit older than that. He's probably mm-hmm. like ten or eleven. Um, but yeah, he's like I he carries the movie a lot of the times because he has to, and he does a really really good job of it. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure like a, a, some credit has to be given to Favreau for that because mm-hmm. he's the one directing this kid. Like a lot of the times because. Because he's the only human in this movie, there's a lot of, like you said, acting by himself, just imagining what's happening or, or watching it on a screen and watching himself do it, playing it back and reshooting. Uh, but for a kid of this age who I don't think has done much else, like, no, this, he did a short back in 2013. Like, this is his first mm-hmm. big movie. Like, I thought he did such a good job. Um, he was born in 2003, which makes him what 11 14 i think i don't even know i can't do math 13 it's something 13. like that yeah. it's some, some, something <laughs> like that so when he's filming it you know he's 11 12 um he did i thought he did a, a fine job with it although there are going to be people um who are probably annoyed by him mm-hmm. and i cannot objectively see where they'd be coming from because he is super because he tries to be, I think, because he tries to be super charming and I think he gets away with it. But because he does that, there's a lot of expressionism. There's a lot of, like, volume changes in his voice. Uh, there's a lot of, like, unneeded gesturing <laughs> happening. But, and so I can see how some people would be like, this kid's kind of obnoxious. Like, I don't want to deal with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought, considering he is in this movie by himself, he did such a good job. Cool. Yeah, Jungle uh, Book guys, super good. Super <laughs> so, good. so, um, what's your what's your sort of like, like is this sort of a run out and see it movie, or is this if you know if you want to see a nice movie this weekend, yeah, go I, see it. Is it, what like what level of what level of urgency are we giving people to go out and see the Jungle Book? I think there's a. I think for anybody who wants to go watch a movie this weekend, and your options are. It's for new releases. Your major options are Jungle Book. Oh, no, Jungle Book's not out this weekend. Sorry, it's next weekend. Uh, oh. Yeah, if you want to go see the Jungle Book, if there's any interest whatsoever, go out and watch this movie. It's the type of movie that you want to see in theaters. It's it's stunning. Like, if, it, if it's available on an IMAX near you, like, go watch it in IMAX mm-hmm. because it's that, it's that type of movie experience. If you have kids, like, if you're a family, definitely. Um, yeah. my recommendation is maybe if the kids are seven and under, maybe wait, there are, cause there are moments that are truly scary. Uh, but it's, the Jungle Book is fun. That's the thing. It's fun. It's silly. Mm-hmm. It's not too long. It's like an hour and a half. Um, it's stunning. It captivates from the beginning to the end. 
uh and it's worth like the 13 14 dollars you're going to spend on a movie like if that's if that's what it comes down to if you're a family of four or five and you're thinking i got movies are cost me 60 bucks nowadays plus popcorn or whatever Mm -hmm. and you're like is this worth it or can we wait for it to be on netflix go and watch it Mm -hmm. all right we're gonna move from here um to from from a from a movie based on one of the like quintessential texts of British colonialism <laughs> <laughs> to to Black Panther number one, um, a series about uh, Marvel's Marvel's uh, uh, African nation that uh, is specifically untouched by colonialism. So it's going to be an interesting segue, but um, but Black Panther number one is out this week, and it is a very highly anticipated comic from Marvel because it is being written by the noted um, sort of writer and commentator on on African American ish and Black issues in America, Ta-Nehisi Coates. I'm super excited uh, for this. Um, it was announced, I think, like six months ago that. Um, Marvel had um, Marvel had asked him had approached him about writing a Black Panther comic, um, and uh, and because he'd I think he'd he'd interviewed or been on a panel with Sana Amont, who is um, the Marvel editor responsible for um, for Ms. Marvel, which is a comic about um, a Pakistani Muslim girl from Jersey City um, becoming uh, the new Ms. Marvel with stretchy and shapeshifty powers. Um, that is a huge hit for Marvel, um, and, and a huge hit with new readers, which is um, kind of the tricky thing that the big two, which is what people in the comics world call collectively call Marvel and DC, um, which is sort of a tricky thing f- that both companies have been trying to do with different sort of levels of success. Um, Ms. Marvel, it, like comic book companies, don't um, their physical. Re- their physical sales are very easy to keep track of and are pretty much public. Um, we do- readers and readers and commentators don't get access to their digital sales, but we do know that uh, Ms. Marvel is Marvel's biggest selling digital book. Um, mm-hmm. uh, out out ahead of its Spider-Man books, out of ahead out ahead of X-Men, out ahead of every other you know huge blockbuster character that they have. Um, Ms. Marvel is outselling all of those books on digital, um, and so Marvel approached uh, Tanahasi Coates to um, write a Black Panther book just as the character is making his film debut in Captain America: Civil War, and we know that in a couple years, I think in 2018. We're getting uh, a full Black Panther movie with, um, I keep getting the actor for this wrong, so I'm going to depend on you to help me out. Um, I believe it's Chiwetel Ejiofor as Black Panther, um, and not, I keep mixing up the actors who, there's also... There's also um, a guy in. I keep mixing him up. Mixing no, up with, the, not, with the guy who's in Doctor Strange. It's not Chiwetel. It's Chadwick Boseman. It's Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, yeah, I keep doing that. And Chiwetel Ejiofor is is Doctor Strange. Is in Doctor Strange. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so in addition to Ta-Nehisi Coates being on this book, uh, Marvel also got Brian Stelfreeze, who is an African American comics artist who's been working in the industry for thirty years. His he's he's done um, painted covers for books um, for decades that are just gorgeous, and he's doing the he's doing all the penciling and line work on Black Panther. Um, and then I can't remember the name of the woman who's doing the colors. Um, 
But, uh, you know, Coates has been very upfront. He's like, I've never written a comic before, but I'm a big nerd. Like, he loves, he's like, I grew up with the X-Men. I grew up loving comics. And I grew up, um, I grew up seeing characters like Luke Cage and Storm um, in comics and that being a point of connection for me. Even if the, you know, he's like, and even if those depictions weren't always great, um, because, you know, it was the 70s and it was the 80s and white guys were writing them and it was, it was still, it was still seeing black people and African American people in comics being heroes. Mm-hmm. And that meant, and that meant a lot. Um, and, and so, I, like, I've been really excited for it because I get excited any time that a, like, really important minority f- hero figure in comics, whether that's Wonder Woman, whether that's um, Storm from the X-Men, whether that's Luke Cage, whether that's, um, um, like, Brian Choi, who's uh, the a very beloved um, sort of like legacy, the Adam, who's Asian, or um, Jamie Reyes, who's another, um, who's Blue Beetle in the DC, like the second Blue Beetle in the DC universe, who's Latino. Um, when uh, a creator comes around and says, like, the fact that this character was that race or that gender or that sexual minority was really important to me reading it as a fan and now I am getting to write it and from write it as a person who comes from that place mm-hmm. um I always find that to be super interesting and Black Panther is the first black superhero in a mainstream American superhero comic um, he debuted in the Fantastic Four he's not he is the first and there's 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 sort of a semantic difference here because uh, people also say that the Falcon um, who's played by Sam Wilson in the Marvel movies no whose secret identity is Sam Wilson he's played by um oh god I'm blanking now um alright we're gonna skip past that so that we don't have dead air but um that the Falcon is the first African-American superhero, um, that he's a black guy from America. Uh, the Black Panther is a black guy from Africa, from a fictional African nation called Wakanda um, that was able to protect itself from white and European colonialism um, because of a fantastical, fictional, natural resource. Um, in Marvel Comics, Wakanda is the biggest source in the world for the fictional metal vibranium, mm-hmm. which if you've watched the Marvel movies, you know that Captain America's shield is made out of it, and that's why it's indestructible, and that's why it can like throw back sonic blasts and like do all of that neat stuff. Um, uh, Wakanda has this vibranium mine called the Mound um, that basically means that it's incredibly technologically advanced, um, and until um, whenever Black Panther debuted in the Fantastic Four, was able to remain a secret from the rest of the world. Um, much in the same way that, like, uh, 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 Paradise Island or Themyscira, where the Amazons live, was able to remain a secret from the rest of the world until Wonder Woman decided to come to man's world and become a superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the... Black Panther, um, God, I can't remember his, his actual name now. This is going to annoy me. Hang on. Wikipedia, Black Panther, comics. Oh, I think I should know this because I've written it out for stories. T'Challa, that's what it is. Yes. It's T-apostrophe C-H-A-L-L-A. Um, the Black Panther is the ruler of Wakanda. Yes. Um, 
Uh, so he's, the, he's the king of Wakanda, and he is also, and all the kings of Wakanda are also um, this sort of um, protector figure. Um, and his powers are, are mostly derived from technology, but also a little bit of magic. Um, he has, you know, heightened senses, heightened reflexes. Um, he has a really sweet costume. Um, and so his stories have always, his stories have often been about, you know, in sort of the way, like, the best Aquaman stories, they're about this conflict between him um, being a superhero, but also being um, the monarch of a country and being the the metaphorical father of a people. Um, and Coates has talked about that he's doing this year-long story arc in Black Panther about um, about uh, Wakanda having problems. Yeah. Um, that the this nation that's pride was very much about how it had never been conquered. That in recent sort of big, broad Marvel universe, universe events has had some really bad things happen to it that its ruler couldn't. Um, prevent that it it was the whole country was flooded um, by uh, Namor the Submariner when he was under mind control. Um, the country was conquered by alien invaders. Um, T'Challa was thrown out, and his sister assumed the throne and became a sort of concurrently a female Black Panther, and she was assassinated. Um, and so he's come back to assume the role of leader. And at the same time, there's unrest um, is fomenting in Wakanda. The first issue um, previews the, f- the previews of the first issue show pages of him, um, him and his his sort of troops and his bodyguards quelling a riot um, among the miners and workers at the mound, um, and his sort of his stress and his conflict about using violence on his own people um, and knowing that they're being um, that they have real grievances, but that those grievances are being um, inflamed to an irrational degree by a single force that he can't lock down yet. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, I, I read the first issue this morning. It, the book is out today. Uh, when we're recording this podcast, it will have been out for a couple days on Friday. Um, and, uh, Coates has been really upfront about how this is, uh, this is his first comic. He's never written a comic before. Um, he's, he's been saying a lot of stuff like, if it's, if it sucks, it's my fault. If it's good, it's the, it's Brian's, the artist's fault. You know, if it's good, it's all up to him. Um, (laughs) and, uh, but it's, it's a really interesting first issue that sets up, it sets up at least three or four, it sets up a bunch of sort of stuff that it's clear the comic is going to be coming back to. So there's like the whole minor situation and the whole idea of there being unrest in Wakanda and a lack of faith um, in T'Challa and his rule. Um, and then there's also there's also this subplot of um, the, the Black Panther, ha- as the ruler of Wakanda, has this um, group of bodyguards who are all female. Um, and... Each one of them is selected from a different village in Wakanda and trained, and they're supposed to be like um, a, a sort of blended microcosm of the whole country. Um, and then he eventually picks a wife from one of them. Um, and Coates has been like pretty upfront in interviews, but he's like, I like this idea. I don't like some of this idea. Like, 
it's part of the canon, and so I have an affection for it. But mm -hmm. it's an uncomfortable idea to have to create a group of trained women in order to to protect a man and to be in close quarters with him and be around him all the time. And he has power over them, and he's supposed to view them, each one of them as a potential sexual conquest. And to think that you could set up that situation and have it not be abused is a weird one. Um, so mm -hmm. he's, he's, like, he's, he's like, I'm definitely going to be approaching that and sort of um, trying to make that, trying to, trying to approach that not in a way that um, takes it seriously and considers it instead of taking it for granted. Um, and so he's setting, he's, he's setting up a plot arc that involves um, two, two of the women who um, are among his bodyguards sort of um, finding their own problems and their own um, misgivings about T'Challa's ability to lead Wakanda and sort of, um, and sort of making concrete steps to figure out what that means for them and what that means that will mean for them going forward. Um, there's clearly some stuff with T'Challa feeling very bad that his sister is dead, um, and trying to figure out how to um, move, how to how to deal with that in a very you know Marvel universe nobody stays dead kind of way. Um, and that's just sort of all the stuff that's. And then there's 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 this um, there's this force, um, basically this terroristic rebel army sort of coming up um, called the people that uh, Coates has been talking about that they're going to be the primary antagonists and the primary um, sort of driving quote-unquote villain force of his year-long story arc um, and what I found most interesting about the first issue is that all of these different threads like a lot of them are setting up people who are opposed to the hero or opposed or, or doubt him or are uh, are like okay we're not working with the hero um and all of them so far are being presented as having a really good case for why they're doing what they're doing mm -hmm. um which is not often something you get in superhero comics um and that's not always a bad thing like dr doom doesn't need to be right he can just be a guy who talks about himself in the third person and wants to control the world, you know? <laughs> well, that was going to be my question for you, is yeah. that um, Ta-Nehisi Coates is this kind of for... Uh, this leading voice on mm. uh, black issues and black culture in America. He has been for years as a national correspondent for The Atlantic. Um, and, of course, uh, he kind of kind of became a lot more uh, or uh, better known to it, I guess the mainstream audience with his book which was released I believe last year really really good uh, between the world and me um, my question is do you, are there elements of him bringing in this kind of cultural discussion on what's happening maybe in America around the world mm -hmm. into Black Panther like can you see that yet or is it still mm -hmm. too early to tell I think it's hard to say um, mm -hmm. at this point I think there's definitely the potential to do that like the fact that the first four pages of the issue are T'Challa using governmental power on um, on black workers mm -hmm. um, even if it's a black government. Um, and and obviously feeling very conflicted about that and feeling um, like he has failed. Like, even if they, you know, defuse this riot and even if 
like I can't remember I can't remember if you explicitly see that anybody dies, but the fact that the fact that he has had to use force on innocent people as a governmental entity really bothers him. Um, and I mean this this issue did a lot of setting up, so I think um, it that there's definitely a potential for that, and I think um, well, we'll have to see. It's I think it's a little early to see specifically what Coates is, what sort of issues and ideas Coates is going to be playing around with. Um, I like there are a lot of women in the issue, um, and I like that about it. He's also talked about that. He's like we don't have a very female creative team, um, and I want to make sure that I do those issues justice as well because it's not just black men when we talk about black people and and he wants to make sure that that's in there but but black panther is also part of this um this uh this idea in sci-fi called afrofuturism mm-hmm. um which is a reaction to um uh basically a reaction to the the intersection of science fiction with the the general like lack of repres- lack of of representation for people of color in media in general and the fact that when lack of representation for people in color meets science fiction and particularly futuristic science fiction it means that the dominant ideas we have about what the future looks like is a future without people of color um and that afrofuturism is this sort of response to that from the black community and the African-American community um, and then the folks from that community who are in genre spaces to sort of recognize and celebrate um, works that include black people in the future and that that posit like a, a future where that black people are in control of making the future. Um, like Wakanda is a nation, is a futuristic modern nation um, that doesn't have Western and European influences on it. Hmm. Um, That's super interesting. I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, and that like and like Stelfreeze and Coates are doing are like very dedicated. In like the first issue has a bunch of um, the artists like sort of early designs and their ideas about what the technology is going to look like. Um, and it's very clear they're like we're like it's it's a fictional African nation, and that's they're like they're clearly trying to pull from a lot of sources, um, pull from a lot of sort of different African cultures, um, which oftentimes like in the wrong hands can sort of like the idea that Africa is a country or that Africa is some kind of, um, monoculture, like is, uh, is one that is often like tacitly assumed, um, and that's not great. Um, and but I think in, in this case where you have, you know, a couple of very like literate, very thinking, very critical, you know, African American um, creators who are sort of like being careful and trying to say, okay, well, this is a fictional African country. What would it look like? Um, what would this stuff do? We don't just want to make like we don't. We want to make it look like it comes from that place um but at the same time we can't uh it's still a fictional place and it's still strange but then they're sort of like in that balancing act of um of sort of paying of paying tribute to african culture without 
um, homogenizing it or or playing into that stereotype that Africa is one culture. Um, but yeah, there's there's stuff in the back of the first issue where um, uh, there are just little drawings of Brian Stelfreeze that all Wakandans, instead of having smartphones, they have these um, beaded bracelets that are powered by vibranium, and each bead does a different thing. Mm-hmm. Like, each, like, like he has drawings of, like, okay, so you have a bead, and it's for texting, and you can either talk to it, or you can use sign language to text. Huh. Um, That's very interesting. So it sounds yeah. like it's... Um, very inclusive much more and i feel like comics in general become more inclusive over the past mm. decade you would know this better than i would uh <laughs> but based on the small amount of comics i read i feel like they've definitely become more inclusive um and do you think that like i would love to know your opinion on bringing writers who have grown up with comics into comics like do you feel mm. like there's there's a huge conversation happening with film and television all the time that those because film and t- tv have been around for i mean forever but because people have kind of grown up with it as a staple in their living room uh it was this idea that everybody was watching television at some point so all the television writers now grew up watching television like there was just no there was no question about that um whereas comics i feel like we're still stigmatized even till what maybe 10 years ago mm-hmm. when these movies kind of first started picking up um and has become much much more mainstream than they once were so i would love to know like do you think it's a good thing that we're bringing in people who are more well-versed or should we be looking for other writers who maybe haven't read comics mm. but have other story well, I ideas say, i would say that comics have actually been dominated for decades by people who grew up on comics mm-hmm. um because it's such a it's such a small world and it's such a niche market Very niche. and it's always been so like it's always been a subculture like television and movies they're a mainstream medium um comics have never really gotten there and so and and comics really for comics it's like we really need the fact that the people making comics were the people reading comics has meant that the audience for comics has pretty much stayed the same exactly for decades um and because it's difficult um, it's it's that chicken or the egg thing where if our comic book characters are predominantly white guys, then maybe the comics don't appeal to as many people who aren't white guys as they could. And then the people who wind up wanting to write them are also predominantly white guys because they're the people who are predominantly interested in it. Um, and And so, like, absolutely. Like, I want... Like, yeah, I want more people to write comics just in general. Um, but uh, but I, th- I think that, like, the great thing about, about Ta-Nehisi Coates coming in to write comics is that he's, like, I'm, he's, he's very open. He's, like, I'm not, like, the audience, like, that those comics were going for when I liked, when I got into comics as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Like, but I was into them anyway, and... I'm super excited to be given an opportunity to contribute to this universe. Um, and, um, and yeah, like, I, I, I just, yeah, like, I want to see more of that stuff. We need, it's that, that's how we fix the repetitive cycle, you know? It's this whole idea that, um, 
I was reading that DC, I think it's DC. I don't think it's Marvel. I think it's DC. They're hosting this contest, right? Like if mm. you are an aspiring comics writer, artist, uh, who kind of, I mean, they don't want pure amateurs. They want someone who's maybe, yeah. maybe even self-published something. Um, but they like their whole thing was like, but we want diverse people. What Like whether that means, uh, which I'm sure includes women, people of color, uh, people who identify as either women or male, Um, people with mental health issues, physical uh, health issues, whatever it be. And I think like, that's really cool. Cause like you said, right, this is an industry that's been dominated by the same kind of writer because they've been writing for the same audience, the writing, they were writing for themselves. Uh, but now it's like, there's this realization suddenly that, oh no, there are tons of people who read comics who are not this, this, this very narrow audience. And also the industry really needs those people. Mm-hmm. Um, that comics are not, you know, we're like com- we're getting big movie blockbuster adaptations, and they're not translating into more comic sales. Um, I mean, there's there we could do a whole podcast on why I think it is difficult for people to get into reading comics, um, and we probably will do that. Podcast. Yeah, maybe we'll do that sometime. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I think for, for now it's just you know Black Panther is is really good. I think it's going to be ramping up into something really special. Um, and if you want something, like if if you're you know if you're looking ahead and being like oh I want to I want to brush up on this character I want to find out what this character's deal is before I go see Civil War or you know before the Black Panther movie comes out although you have a lot of time because they like pushed it back um, this is a good place to start um, you know like I've I'd never read a Black Panther comic before today like I'd probably seen him guest star in a few other comics. Um, but uh, but you know I I followed right along. There's Marvel does a great thing where the first page of every issue is a brief summary of what has happened so far. Um, that I wish DC would do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's great. Um, it's great for when you are not super familiar with a character or where when it's just like oh it's been like a month since you read the last issue and a lot has happened and you can't really remember where the story left off. Um, so it's a good jumping off point. It's a good jumping on point for anybody who'd be interested in sort of picking up the character. Um, and yeah, I recommend it. And just to end on some news, mm-hmm. uh, just for those who are interested in Marvel in general and are thinking of checking out the comic but want more, because we are a society that wants more always, <laughs> uh, starting next week on the 11th, it is Marvel Week at Jimmy Kimmel, which means we are getting our first Doctor Strange trailer next week at, ah. like, midnight. It means we are getting... Uh, basically, he's doing a different interview with he's so on monday he's going to do team cap tuesday team iron man Mm -hmm. then he'll be doing uh, i think he's got a thor thing and i think he's got a doctor strange day and then he's doing agents of shield so for those that are interested uh in marvel at all who want to follow it who want more info who want sneak peeks like tune into jimmy kimmel next week also we'll have everything up on polygon too yeah yeah Thor will be interesting. We haven't heard a lot about the third Thor movie other than no, that. No, and apparently he's... Apparently, so Hemsworth is going to be on it, I assume, mostly to promote Huntsman. Mm, uh, yeah. But uh, but because it's Marvel week, I would not be surprised if he was like, here's the first image of something. You yeah. Know I mean? Like, here's something. Yeah. Are they going to have Ruffalo on? Because it's confirmed that Mark Ruffalo, who plays the Hulk, is going to be in that film, right? Or is it just still a rumor at this point? Yeah, Ruffalo is... No, it's confirmed. Ruffalo's in it, uh, and... 
she's not listed for as a guest but again like i would uh, because thor's still far away i wouldn't be surprised if he dropped by especially since everyone else in mm. the marvel universe is going to be there <laughs> um like he i mean he I, I wouldn't be surprised if he showed up i feel like thor is probably going to be like we'll get the least out of that we'll get the most out of doctor strange because captain america is so close that it's just yeah. going to be like here's a clip like that you haven't seen yeah and doctor strange just wrapped so just wrap marvel just released the first image like a first official image yeah. or second i guess official image um yeah so it's it's exciting yeah it just wrapped cumberbatch is now back in london filming sherlock mm-hmm. um so yeah for those just because we were talking about marvel with black panther black panther is out you can read it right now because we record mm-hmm. on wednesday Susanna recommends it uh marvel is or sorry marvel <laughs> stuff is happening <laughs> next week. Yeah. And, uh, and and go on Polygon.com and check out Julia's review of The Jungle Book. It's not yes. out this weekend, but it'll be out next week. Yes. Yeah. Super good. That's it for today's podcast. We'll see you again next week. Cutscene is produced by Dave Tack. Got questions or comments for us? Hit us up by email at cutscene at polygon.com. For more episodes of Cutscene, go to polygon.com slash cutscene. For more Polygon, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And if you have a moment, like and review us on iTunes. It really helps. That's it? Yep, that's it. That's it, that's it, guys. (laughs) That's the last (laughs) Cutscene. We're done. (laughs) Uh, uh. (sighs) Ugh.